I just say I am just blown away by your attendance. Here we are, the last week of August. This is a week so many people are away for um, college and sending folks. There's vacations. There's all kinds of things. And I'm, I'm just really thrilled that we even, we have this many people here today. And I'm just really thankful for you, thankful for your presence. And, uh, and I know you've been sitting for a little while, so just one last stretch. How about we do that? Would you just stand with me for a moment? While you stand, I have a quick announcement for you. Um, one of the missionary families that we support, Jerry Bernard with Crossroad Farm uh, in Kalkaska, they've been doing a project there um, and doing a lot of sheetrock um, sheet work. And uh, right now they have a little bit of cleanup work that they need to do. A lot of it's um, washing down some different things, even up on top of scaffold. And Wednesday and Thursday night, they need some help with some of that in Kalkaska at Crossroad. And if you'd like to be connected with them to do some of that, um, if you would either get a hold of PR after the service or call into the church office and we can connect you with Jerry at Crossroad to help out either Wednesday or Thursday or both. How's that sound? Well, if you think you're going to fall asleep, you may remain standing. Otherwise, have a seat. Let's get started. Uh, grab your copy of the scriptures and turn to Ruth chapter 4 or your electronic device and type in Ruth 4, and we are going to go through our final discussion in our series of Ruth, and then next week, as you see, is our family Sunday, and then we're into a new series on vision, and it's called Love is Why. Love is Why, and you're going to see us work through a five-week vision series here on Sunday morning. <clears throat> So week one in our series in Ruth, there were two widows. There was Ruth and Orpah that were on a road with life-altering decisions to make. And where would their best chance for hope be found? This was the big question. Naomi already knew where she was going. She was going back to Israel. She was going back to Bethlehem. But for Ruth and Orpah, which way were they going to go? Were they going to go back to Moab? Were they going to go back to their old life? Or were they going to give up their old life and go to Israel where there were no provisions? They had nothing. They didn't know anyone. And so Ruth believed, and she took a step of faith. Ruth believed that true hope is always where God is. That was a lesson for week one. True hope is always where God is. And by human standards, her decision seemed impractical. Everyone around thought she should go back to Moab, but she told her mother-in-law, and here's the big words. She said, where you go, Israel, where you go, I'll go. Your people, the Jewish people, they'll be mine. Your God, Yahweh, is going to be my God. And she meant it, folks. She meant it from the bottom of her heart. And Ruth showed that true hope is always where God is. Week two, 
Bruce showed us that when hope seems lost, obey God. When hope seems lost, obey God. And Ruth showed up during the barley harvest, if you remember any of this in our discussion, and she ended up picking up leftovers. She, she hit ground zero, she walked out to the fields, and she picked up the barley, which was actually a provision for her that was commanded in Scripture. And, and truthfully, it was humbling, it was lean, it seemed disconnected from her biggest need. But she obeyed God, she left the outcome up to God, and we began to see God caring for her biggest needs through that situation. And she showed us that when hope seems lost, obey God. Last week we talked about the next truth. When life is out of our control, trust God. When life is out of our control, trust God. And Naomi showed this for us. She not only lost trust in God, she maligned his character. She thought that because her circumstance went down and went bad, so also did God's character. But Naomi finally realized and recognized, although my circumstance went bad, God never did. And here's the words from Naomi's lips. She said, he has not stopped. God has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And we found out from Naomi, you can trust God. Folks, you can trust God. He is reliable. He never changes. And we found out last week, when life's out of our control, trust God. So let's take a moment, and we're going to go to the last chapter of Ruth, where today we pull away one last big truth. And this, folks, is a biggie. This thing is supersized. This is a great one to take home. And before we get there, I don't know, maybe about six weeks ago or so, I shared how I was carrying a, a big weight. You know, pastors need hope too. And the series in Ruth wasn't really for you folks. Um, it was for me. I just preached it and let you folks listen in. Uh, I needed to follow God. I needed to obey God. I needed to trust God. I needed to remember that where God is, that's where hope is. And, and I'm just here to tell you folks, just like Ruth told us, can I, can I just tell you from a heart of experience, after walking through this thing, just like Ruth has walked through, I, I just, I just want to say, that hope is always where God is. Can I just tell you that? I'm not saying that because Ruth said that. I'm saying that for me. I'm saying that for my life. I'm saying that for my experience. I know it. Hope is where God is. Okay? That we need to love him. We need to trust him. We need to follow him. When we do that, folks, God shows up. Amen? God shows up. And it seems that, I don't, I don't understand it, my life seems to follow my sermon series. 
you know, I preach something and there goes my life, you know, wee. You know, I, I was telling my church staff, I'm going to make my next sermon series, How to Handle Extreme Wealth with Humility. <laughs> you know, this is going to be, this is going to be a good one. Okay, we better get serious and get working. Okay, here we are in Ruth 4, and we pull away one last big truth. This is, this is bigger than great wealth, folks. This is the big stuff. And here it is. Because of Jesus, there is hope for all. Because of Jesus Christ, there's hope for all. So here we are in Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 13. I just want to read for you the remainder of the chapter. And we're going to navigate through those affected by hope. And then I just want to wrap up with a couple truths for us, and we're going to finish. So look at verse 13. I'm going to read down through verse 22. Look at this together, would you? So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, or the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Maybe, may he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So here's the genealogy of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nishan. Nishan, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David. There's the whole crew for you. Imagine those affected by hope from this account. Now the book of Ruth is going somewhere. Hope didn't start with Ruth, I want you to know. It didn't start with Ruth and it didn't end with Ruth. Although the book is named Ruth, hope didn't start with her and it didn't end with her. I, I want you to see how this whole story progresses and how it works through. So here's those affected by hope from this account. So grab your study guide. Let's work through some names together. One is not even in the book, but I want you to write this down because this is critically important. In fact, we worked through this name on Mother's Day this year. Here's the first mother-in-law. The very first name affected by hope from this account, and it is Rahab. Rahab, <clears throat> who is the prostitute from Jericho. <coughs> now, if you're new to church, or if you're new to this account, you might be saying, did he just say what I thought he said? 
And the answer to that is yes. The prostitute from Jericho is the mother-in-law of Ruth. One of them. She was broken. Now here's the reality. All of us are broken. We all have something somewhere, somehow, that's broken. But you know what? Some people's brokenness is a little bit more on display than other people's brokenness. You know what I'm saying? And Rahab's brokenness was on display. She lived on the wall of Jericho and everyone knew her vocation. And here's the deal. Just like Ruth, she was faced with a decision, a crazy decision, because two spies from Israel showed up at her door. Now, it was not unusual for men to show up at her door, obviously. But this night, it was different because these guys were spies from Israel. They were looking to spy out Jericho because they wanted to destroy, to take over Jericho. So they show up, and they need to be hidden. Now she had at that moment a decision to make. Am I going to harbor them and hide them? Or do I rat them out and stay in the life that I'm in? It was a Ruth decision. Do I stay? In the life I'm in, in Moab for Ruth, or do I make a decision and start to turn around? And so here it was, she was faced with the same choice. <clears throat> do I play it safe, stay in my old life, or do I really believe hope is where God is? That was the decision. She hid the spies, she followed after God, she moved to Israel with nothing, just like Ruth. She obeyed God. She met a Jewish man named Salmon. She got married. They had a son whose name was, are you with me in the whole story? And her son's name was Boaz. Now, I don't know if Rahab was alive when Ruth came on the scene. Man, I hope she was. Could you imagine the stories they would have had? Now, this is just a little bunny trail. Can I take a little bunny trail this morning? Even if you say no, I'm going to do it. Just tell me no. Just kidding, just kidding. Um... I hear people say, God can't use me. I've blown it. I've sinned too much. I've done, like, big things. Other people have done little things. I've done big things. Okay, have you, have you beat Rahab? Have you? You realize our Bible 
is full of people that have done big, big, big things. And God has used them. You realize if you took all those people out of the Bible, the Bible would be like really thin. I mean, just look at the disciples. Jesus obviously didn't pick the disciples because they were super guys. These guys didn't really have it all together. I mean, Jesus went around covering for them. You just wonder, why did he pick those guys sometimes? I mean, here is Peter. Ends up cutting a guy's ear off. He obviously wasn't aiming for his ear. And like two days later, Jesus says, and I'm going to use you to build my church. Peter's like, really? I'm sure the other disciples are like, really? Him? And they're like, what? Here's the deal. God doesn't need your perfection. We need his perfection. That's why we got into Christianity in the first place, not because he needs us. We need him. We need his righteousness. We need his help. God takes broken things. And I've found from my life, I've found from Scripture, and I've found from experience, when God does great things, he often uses the broken, not the best. I'm going to say that one more time because it really sounded good. When God does great things, he often uses the broken, not the best. And if you sit here today and you're saying, I'm broken. I'm really broken. I'm like, wow, get ready. Because God can use you, friend. God can really use you. And if you don't believe me, just go through your Bible. Because there's a lot of broken people that he has used magnificently because through those people he shows how great he is Rahab was one of those people and when God brought her out of Jericho and gave her a husband Salmon it wasn't that her hope stopped there all of a sudden they had a son and man when that son married Ruth their hope went on turbo. They had no idea what was coming from their hope. And their story of hope took off in a special way when she held that little boy, Boaz. And your story of hope can take off even in a broken state because God uses the broken Here's the second mother-in-law. I want to give you these. I need to move through these pretty quickly. The second mother-in-law, Naomi. This is the next example of hope. Remember her words she said in 
chapter 1, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. I went away full. I had a lot. I came back empty. Well, you know what? At the end of the story, guess what? She had a full armload in this little boy named Obed. And in fact, she had a full armload and she couldn't even say anything. All the women around her were saying, look at Naomi. Naomi has a son. Look at this. All the ladies gawked at her and cheered. Naomi has a son. And it's so neat. For all the words that she said, she gets to this end of the story And no words are recorded for her. She probably was just speechless there, holding her little grandson in her arms. This picture of hope that God has given her beyond what she could ever imagine. This beautiful grandson, this kinsman redeemer, this provider of hope. Now here's the third object of hope, the most obvious subject, and that is Ruth. And Ruth went from lost Moabite to widow to wife to mom, and, and, and this is one of the most obvious benefits seen. Obviously, just like Rahab, God took a foreigner, once an idol worshiper, once barren, a peasant, She wouldn't be one sought after in Israel, and obviously her beginning was quite a bit different than her ending. She was 10 years barren. We don't have any explanation for her barrenness except from verse 13. It mentions, it says, when he made love to her, that is Boaz, it says, the Lord enabled her to conceive it is quite potential that the Lord actually held off her ability to conceive until she was with Boaz. And then says, here we go. Here we go. Here's your line of hope. Now this is interesting in verse um, 13. This, this whole discussion, Boaz took Ruth, became his wife. He made love to her. The Lord enabled her to conceive. She gave birth to his son. It's 15 words in the Hebrew language. That's it, 15 words that describe her wedding, that describe her pregnancy, and describe her birth. 15 words. Now, there is some discrepancy in the scriptures. I know people describe try to say, now who wrote the book of Ruth, and and what time was it written, and some people go back and forth and debate who wrote the book of Ruth. Well, number one, I can tell you, I know it's a man, for only a man can tell of their wedding, pregnancy, and birth in 15 words or less. (laughs) But here's the beauty, um, after a decade with infertility, which would have been shame to her. 
her gleaning in the fields, which would have been shame to her. Now she's a wife, she's a mom. Her son's name means servant. It was evident to all that this youngster would be the kinsman. He would carry on even the line of her deceased husband, the provider now for his mom and grandma when he grew up. What a special thing. Here's the next ray of hope for the people of Israel. And and it continues on. It doesn't end with Ruth. The next ray of hope, because you know, although it's called the book of Ruth, we know that this was written, the account is written long after Ruth due to the extended genealogy. And and my Bible, it shows the genealogy of David. And it continues on. It mentions that um, verse 16, Naomi took the child in her arms, cared for him. Verse 17, the women living there said, Naomi has a son. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then it goes and mentions the genealogy going down to David. And this is significant for the nation of Israel. And so the people of Israel have hope. This was huge for them by King David. This is the most noted king of Israel. This is when the kingdom was united and worshipped God with his whole heart. You know, David was a pinnacle leader with storied successes personally and nationally. And and it would have been a position of status to be a part of this heritage and, and And so here Israel looked at this line and they said, there's hope for us. We have a king now. We have a noted king. We have a storied king. We have a special king. We have a king who worships God. We have have this lineage that has come to us. And they're even a people of hope, a nation of hope because of this line that has come. But Beyond that, beyond Rahab and beyond Naomi and beyond Ruth and beyond Israel, here's where this whole line has been pushing all along because God not only wanted to bless people, he not only wanted to bless these women, he not only wanted to bless Israel. Here's the deal. Here's the push of all of this. Because ultimately... The thrust of Ruth, the thrust of this account is that God wanted to give hope to the whole world by Jesus Christ in that Ruth is in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This is the great thing about the book of Ruth and it's noted in Matthew chapter 1 verse 16. That she is in the genealogy of the line of the Messiah. Hope didn't end with Ruth when she got her man. Or Naomi when she got her grandson. Or Israel when they got their king. Ultimately, hope was pointing forward. 
and has always been pointing forward. And God has always been pointing forward. And listen to this, folks. God has always been pointing forward since the sin of mankind. He's always been pointing forward. He's always been pointing forward to one person, our person of hope. The only person who we can have hope in. And that person, get ready to say amen, is the one and only person of Jesus Christ. That is the only person through which we have hope. Through which our world has hope. He is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer as Boaz was for Ruth. He is our kinsman. He became man. Our next of kin, he became human like one of us. When he came to earth as a baby boy. And although our kinsman, he is our redeemer. He became our redeemer like one to buy us back from our lostness in sin and its punishment when he died on the cross. There's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53 that speaks to the purchase of Jesus when he died on the cross. And and look at this. Notice the significant transaction that took place. It says, but he... Jesus, he was pierced for whose? Our transgressions. Not for his, for ours. He was crushed for whose? For our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace with God was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Now we all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's this redeemer. He bought us back. He has died on the cross for our transgressions, for our iniquities. He paid the price for our Sin, so that we can have peace with God. There's no material benefit to him. Just like Boaz, there was no benefit to him to take Ruth as his wife. Jesus buys back lost people for one reason, one reason alone. He buys us back because he loves us. paid our debt of sin when he died on the cross and he did it because he loves us. Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love for us in this when we were yet sinners, he died for us. Just a few weeks ago, we saw a young woman standing on a dirt road of decision faced with the question, where is hope 
Where is hope? And you may be on that road of decision today. Faced with the question, in which direction is hope? Folks, some of us look for hope at the bottom of a bottle. And you don't find it there, and so you grab another bottle, and you look for it at the bottom of that bottle, and it's not there, and you grab another bottle. Or some people look for it in a pill. Some people look for hope in a syringe. Some people look for hope through significance or through promotion. Or through relationship, if I just have the right person in my life. Or some people look for hope between the sheets with a new partner. Or hope for more money. Or hope from a porn website. Or hope from the next purchase or through self-gratification. Or at the next party. And, and folks, I've talked with people who've been down all those roads looking for hope for deep sustaining satisfaction and they always come away from those still looking for hope because it's not there and I'm here I'm here to tell you that the answer for your hope is the same as the answer for a young widow girl 3,000 years ago today on a dirt road that was looking back at her old way of life and then looking at Israel saying, I wonder if I should go after God. True hope is where God is. And because of Jesus Christ, folks, there's not only hope for a girl 3,000 years ago, there's hope for you today because Jesus died on the cross for you. The only decision for true hope is to follow Jesus with all your life and to show it, to show it with obedience and with genuine trust. And I just want to give you a couple takeaways and with this we're going to finish up. This is what you need to think about with me here today. Our takeaways from Ruth, and we're going to finish up this whole series. Our takeaways from Ruth. Number one, accept no substitutes. Accept no substitutes. No substitutes for Jesus, folks. There's no other God. There's no other pill. There's no bottle. There's no money, there's no relationship, there's no website, there's no purchase, there's no gratification, there's no anything else that could ever take the place of Jesus Christ. True hope is only found with him. And I just want to tell you two things. He's the true hope for heaven he's the only hope for heaven some people think I think I can get there on my own if I'm just good enough I can get in 
I'm going to get there. And I think I can talk my way. I talked to an individual within the last two weeks and I said, you get to heaven, you talk to God, how do you think you're going to get in? And here's what he said, literally, this is what he said. He goes, I think I can negotiate. I'm here to tell you, there's no negotiation with God. Our only hope, our only plea is Jesus died for me. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We say Jesus paid it all. He paid for my sin when he died on the cross. That's my only hope, folks. He's the true hope for heaven. And so I encourage you, don't accept any substitutes. Don't trust your works. Don't trust your church attendance. Don't trust that you did something good or that you gave or put money in the plate or whatever it may be. Our only hope for heaven, for a right relationship with God, is to believe and trust that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Period. Amen? Here's what you need to do for that. You need to talk to him. You need to express to him, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done things against you. But I know Jesus died to forgive me of those, and I embrace that. I believe he died for me. I accept him as my savior and my leader. I give my life to you. You need to do business with him like that. Give your life to him. Here's number two. He's not only the true hope for heaven, he's the true hope for life. He's the true hope for life. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must first deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. I would love to think that we just say, you know what, I told God I follow him and so it's all done. Let me tell you, every day is a daily decision to follow Jesus Christ. And if you're anything like me, you're going to wake up in the morning and you got to make some decisions. Am I going to follow me? Am I going to follow him? Am I going to do things my way or am I going to do things his way? Am I going to follow my impulses or am I going to really follow his word? self-denial and it's God embracing and that's what life as a God follower is like so would you stand with me would you close your eyes and would you envision yourself on the road just like Ruth and you look back in one direction and there's Moab 
and there's the old way. And then you look in the other direction and there's following after God. And you can't go in both directions, folks. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Who are you going to put your hope in for eternity? And who are you going to put your hope in for your life? Is it going to be the old way? Or are you going to follow after God with all that you have and all that you are? Can I ask you right now to put your trust in Jesus? For heaven, for life. Father, I pray that we would be a family of Christ followers. There's hope for us all because of Jesus. Not just to know that we're going to heaven, but every day we walk down that road of following after Jesus Christ to leave Moab in the rearview mirror and to walk after Christ with all that we have. I'm not going to look for hope anywhere else but I'm going to do things the way he wants. I'm going to live my life the way he wants. God, have that be our heart's cry. May we be a church that follows after Jesus. We pray this, God, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.